praying and John. I'm going to talk about a couple more things as we get into the Word, but I want to jump in to, uh, to chapter 8 of Mark, and uh, we're working through Mark, and this, uh, this chapter is an incredibly important chapter in the, the whole book. We're spending 60, it's a 16-part sermon, and this marks the halfway point, and we're taking a bit of a break uh, for the next few weeks to center on Easter, a new series called The Cross for a, a few weeks, and then jumping back into Mark 9 um, a little after that. The reason this chapter is so important is that the direction of Mark actually changes after this. There's a, the whole of the first eight chapters of Mark have all been about it, this question, who is Jesus? Who, who is he? What's his identity? What's he all about? And so Mark, as I have said to you a number of times, is structured not in a chronological way, but in a thematic way where Mark literally takes subjects and topics and themes Per chapter, and we thank the translators for putting them very conveniently into chapters, but each chapter focuses on a different theme. And this theme, chapter 8's theme, is who is Jesus? The, the question is answered by Peter uh, later on in chapter, uh, chapter 8 of Mark. So after Mark 8, the theme changes in the whole book, and the books from 9 through to 16 become about the journey towards the cross, towards Jesus ultimately dying on the cross at Calvary. So this is a very important chapter. This is a summary chapter. I'm be doing a lot of leaning on this pulpit. I'm so grateful that God has given me a sturdy pulpit. Music stand would not cut it this morning. So let's read Mark chapter 8 and verse 1. Sarah said to me, maybe you can just be gentle this morning as you preach. Yeah, I said, yeah, no, I think I can do that. It's not going to happen. Just, uh, just pray for me afterwards. Mark chapter 8 and verse 1. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he, Jesus, called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hunger, hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. Verse 8, they ate and they were satisfied and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmutha. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We're just praying and believing, Father, that you will apply what we're about to hear to our lives, Lord. Let it bear great fruit as we center our attention more upon Easter and upon the cross. We ask this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. This is a beautiful story, and it, and it shows uh, in great detail, as you're going to see over the next few minutes, 
the identity, the heart, the passion of Jesus. And for those of you, and I hope many of you have read through Mark in its entirety, you will know that this is the second uh, feeding of a multitude that Mark describes to us. The first one was the feeding of the 5,000. And and if you've done any research into that, you will know that uh, generally speaking in Bible times, only men were counted. And so you start adding in women and children, you're talking about a great multitude. So this 4,000 could be anywhere up to 10 to 15,000 people, a great crowd, the scriptures tells us. And so as we pull apart this scripture, I'm basically going to allow the, the words, the verses to speak to us themselves. These sort of passages, these sort of sermons are a joy to preach because really all I'm doing is pointing out elements of the Scripture and allowing God and His Spirit to speak to you and apply it to you and your situation. So the first thing I want you to notice, point one, is that a great crowd gathers. A great crowd gathered. Verse one, in those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, and we'll carry on in, in a second. So here, here's what's happening in those days. What days are we talking about? Jesus had specifically changed ministerial direction now. He is heading towards Calvary. And, and the group of people that he finds himself in, if you quickly just flick over to Mark chapter 7, is you'll find that he is deep in enemy country, as far as the Jews are concerned. He is deep inside Gentile country. In fact, he's 120 miles into it. 120 miles is a long drive. 120 mile walk is an even longer walk. That's good math. See, I'm smart. Um, so Jesus is a long way into enemy country. Why do I call it enemy country? Because very quickly, and I can't go into great detail, but the Jews despised the Gentiles. They were disgusted by them. They hated them. That Everything to do with the Gentiles was seen by the Jewish community as completely uh, just, just it, was, it was a disgrace to them. So there would have been this confusion on the part of the disciples. Why are we here? Why, why are we doing this, Jesus? Why are we here? And I want you to notice, it says in the scripture uh, that, can we, can we go back to Go back to the previous, a great crowd. This is not a small crowd. This is a large crowd. And what's interesting, and again, I haven't got time to point these out, but if you read chapter 7 and all the way through the beginning of Mark, you'll find Jesus continually saying, uh, look, don't, just, don't tell anyone what you just saw. So I, I, I healed you of deafness. I, rose, uh, I, I raised your child from the dead. I, I did these incredible miracles, but don't tell anyone. Yeah, right. Really? Because we can see in this scripture that clearly Jesus' plan for let's just keep this quiet is not really working. Or another way of thinking about it, a better way of thinking about it, is just imagine how big the crowd would have been if Jesus hadn't gone to some length to say, let's just try and keep a little bit of a cap on this. This is Jesus' with no marketing, no internet, no Twitter, no Instagram, no Facebook. Can you even imagine a world? No advertising, no banners, no newspaper, no radio, no TV. This is Jesus actually doing the absolute opposite. Don't tell anyone. 
And he still gets 12 to 15,000 people. I mean, I love that marketing strategy for a church. Let's get so filled with Jesus that people will just come and watch you burn, as Wesley said. Let's get so filled with the Spirit of God that people will come because they hear and know that that's where God is. That's where the power and the presence of Jesus is. I'm going to go. But I, so can you imagine on Sunday morning, Pastor Glenn, that's me, standing up in front of everyone and going, listen, um, can we just not tell anyone what's going on here? Please? Just because we're running out of room, they're breaking stuff. Just, can we just keep a cap on it? And you go in, no! I've got to tell someone because this is too good. And that's what's happening with Jesus. Look in chapter 7, verse 36. Jesus charged them. That's not a timid, uh, if you don't mind, just if you could not say anything. It's like, please, stop telling people. He charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They're like kids, aren't they? How many of you had the situation where you're desperately trying to keep your kid quiet and they just completely ignore you, they just get louder? It's like, just... And you put your hand over your eyes. Did you see that video this last week of that BBC? Wasn't that brilliant with the kid who kind of commando rolled in like that? behind her dad as he's being interviewed on BBC. I love that. That's a great example of kids, isn't it? It's like, no, no, it's just not going to work. It's not going to work. It says in those days when again, verse 1, a great crowd. Again, this is, this is a continual problem. What a beautiful problem for a church to have. Ryan and Lesia, wouldn't it be wonderful if you had such a great crowd, you'd have to go, actually, no, can you just stop? Because I can't, we need to get more leaders, we need to get more ministers, we need to get more equipped. And God just sends people to the south, sends people to the churches, and it's because they've heard. If you don't know Jesus this morning, here's what your experience will be. If you truly submit and lean in and surrender your life to the calling that He gives, and you come to the cross and you ask for forgiveness, then this is what your experience will be. He will fill you with an excitement and an enthusiasm and a joy that you will not find in this world. Christian friends, are you filled still? Because that needs to be continually fueled with that enthusiasm. Again, it says, referencing the 5,000 previous people that were fed by Jesus. That's what that word is about, it's referencing back to the feeding of the 5,000. Big difference though, is that was a Jewish crowd. This is a Gentile crowd. See, Jesus started his interactions with the Gentiles in, in, verse, in chapter 7. And, and so this is an unheard of, unexpected, mind-blowing crowd. This is a crowd that as far as the Jews were concerned, as far as his disciples were concerned... As impressive as it would be to see crowds of people, it's even more astonishing given who this crowd is. The Jewish people would not be able to comprehend. This is a crowd, just think just for a second, Christian friends, in your mind's eye, who would be the most astonishing crowd of people who would come and gather to hear Jesus in your mind? Like you just go, really? Really? Maybe it's a, a world religion like Islam. Imagine the crowd being 
filled, filled with 15,000 Muslims coming to hear about Jesus. That's the context that we're talking about. So what's the difference between Mark and, and, and this story and the previous story? And I ought to have said, I forgot to say this at the beginning, community group leaders, this message came about yesterday morning. And so the notes that you will find online for your community groups is a completely different message. I'm sorry, Cindy, if she's here. But Cindy worked hard on that. And use her notes. They're great notes. Cindy uh, Globish is the one who does the, uh, the notes every week for us. But this, this just birthed itself yesterday morning, and so I needed to be obedient. Number two, the hungry crowd. The hungry crowd. Verse two, I have compassion on the crowd, said Jesus, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. This crowd are wildly enthusiastic about Jesus. A lot like us when we worship. <clears throat> I was itching to clap. And I was thinking, am I allowed to clap? I'm being facetious, you could probably tell. But the enthusiasm, the enthusiasm of this crowd is astonishing. There's a few clues. First of all, Jesus says they come from a long way. This isn't a, oh, I'll go and hear Jesus if it's convenient. This is, I'm going to go and hear Jesus because there is something about this man. They are so excited and focused, not only are they going a long way, but they've actually forgotten to pack food. Can you imagine? Like some of you now are thinking about food. And perhaps have been for the last hour. I don't know. You're thinking about lunch. You're thinking about dinner. You're thinking about what you're going to eat this week. You're thinking about, I wish I'd had breakfast. Food is a main topic in our thinking, is it not? We are passionate about our food. Can you imagine setting out with your whole family on a long journey by foot, potentially 100 miles, and thinking... I'm so focused on where we are going, I'm not packed the fishy crackers. I mean, can you imagine how focused you would have to be to actually not think about your kids? Some of you are like, actually, no, that's not hard to think about at all. I, I forget about my kids all the time. We were actually laughing this week because Sarah remembered the time when we forgot about Zoe in the middle of Marks and Spencer's in uh, Chester. Can I say that was Sarah, not me? I was the one that lost Luke in the middle of Woolworths. Luke and Woolworths and me, Marks and Spencers and Zoe is Sarah, and she got home. Days. No, it wasn't. Two minutes. But you're so focused on something you forget about your kids, you go, yeah, I can imagine that. <laughs> Maybe. But so focused on something that you forget about food, are you mad? There's no way that I would forget about the food, but this crowd. See, Jesus is like no one they've ever heard or met. Non-Christian friends, that would be your experience too. Jesus is like no one you've ever heard of or met. Jesus is like no one we've ever heard of or met. And that can be our experience too. Verse 4, And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? See, what's interesting, one of the marked differences between the feeding of the 5,000 with the Jews and the feeding of the 4,000 with the Gentiles is that it is Jesus who notices they're hungry, whereas before with the Jews, it was the disciples. They actually interrupted Jesus in the middle of his speaking and, and told him and said, Jesus, they're, they're hungry. And then they go on to tell him 
uh, the, where they are, what time it is, and why they're hungry. And, uh, and, and give the, the disciples are the one that initiates the miracle in the feeding of the 5,000 because they are concerned and care for the Jewish crowd. But with the Gentiles, they don't care. It's Jesus that stops. Leans in with compassion, the scripture says, and says we must feed them. See, in the last feeding, Jesus' response to the disciples, well, you go and feed them. And, and the disciples' response is, is almost sarcastic and certainly incredulous. And it says, it, it says well, you want us? To, how are we? What? What, suppose you want us to go and buy enough food for all these people? That's their response. But this time their response is very, very different. How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And we would be forgiven, I would imagine, to actually look at the disciples and think about the context and and then put us and ourselves in that context. And we and you and I might say to ourselves, you know what, I would remember the feeding of the 5,000 and think, well, anything is possible with Jesus. But you need to understand that this group of disciples have not forgotten. They are not a bit thick, that they're not just a bit vacant and unsure what's going on. What this does is it gives us a clue as to how Jesus functions in his ministry because Jesus didn't walk around. The scriptures do not give any indication to this. Jesus does not walk around day in, day out, minute by minute, healing everybody that he comes into contact with. In fact, the scriptures suggest that the healings, although remarkable and consistent, were somewhat sporadic days in between and so it's not like the disciples were following after Jesus fully expecting a miracle every minute or two and there's a clue to this in the passage because if you look in verse 4 Jesus does not actually rebuke them he doesn't say well you're lacking faith you not remember the feeding of the 5,000 it's almost like Jesus says well understandably they're perhaps unsure about what this is going to look like given the nature of the crowd Jesus' miracles are selective. Reading between the lines of the scripture and seeing who isn't healed as well as who is, you will find that Jesus often healed this person and left many unhealed. Now, we can get very self-righteous and go, well, that's wrong. But really, we do not understand that every miracle that Jesus does is purposeful. And there's a reason for it. Every miracle is not in and of itself just a story as a standalone to make us think, wow, what an amazing miracle. That miracle is also a parable. In fact, in chapter 8, you'll find that the miracle that Jesus performs with the blind man where he puts his thumbs in his eyes and spits in his eyes and says, can you see anyone? And and he says, can you see anything? And, And then the answer is, I see men, I see people like trees walking. That miracle is a parable speaking to the blindness of mankind speaking towards the identity of Jesus and so these disciples wouldn't have been sat there kind of chewing on their loaf of bread going well he's going to do something you see remember what he did with the 5,000 they're genuinely like how can one feed these people let me encourage you miracles come they really do Miracles come. I have a five or six. You know what, friends? I wish you could all have been at our prayer meeting last time. We had 42 people 
which is why I put in my little e-news the meaning of life is 42 and those of you old enough will know that's a quote from yes Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy the meaning of life is 42 we had 42 people come and pray which is amazing and I had each group we go into little pods and and it's a very warm and welcoming atmosphere not everybody's expected to pray out loud and and we make sure the prayers are kept short for those of us that feel inclined to pray for every missionary that we know. Um, and I said to each group, could we, could we write down some answers to prayer? And th- this, these are the results. I tell you, I read them in detail this week and it brought tears to my eyes. Because miracles still happen. Miracles still happen. Whether it be somebody who brought a co-worker who does not know Jesus to church and then they, that co-worker comes to the front to get prayer. That's a miracle. You know, the person who brought him told me with tears in his eyes, saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe that he wanted prayer. Whether it's Teresa, I know she's looking after our little ones this morning. This beautiful new apartment. Those of you who know the journey and story of Teresa know that that apartment is a miracle. It's a miracle. And I could answer and, and I can point out answers to you and miracles after miracles. And the skeptics among you might go, well, you know, it's coincidental. But honestly, when you start praying and you start gathering as a church like we do, and please come a week on Monday, I promise you miracles happen. Miracles happen. But they come sporadically. It's not, it's not like I walk around in the constant state of the miraculous every day of my life. I wish I did. They come sporadically and the key thing is, is in the in-between times is to still live in faith and strength and belief that God is a God of miracles. And even when it seems dark, you know how we sing that song? God, is it called God of Miracles, that song? Where the young man who wrote it had just had their little baby die and then he wrote this song. I still believe. I still believe, he says, in the God of miracles. The disciples weren't there yet. Miracles come in different shapes and forms and people and ethnicities and they come in all sorts of different ways and please do not be restricted by your experience today believing that somehow God is incapable today. He is not. Is that still your expectation now? Number three, being part of the miracle. Verse five, and he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. Beautiful biblical number. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples. Does that not sound familiar, Christian friends? When Jesus did the same in the Last Supper, having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said that these should also be set before them. See, Jesus... Oh, I got excited at this bit. Jesus could easily, easily have done this whole miracle himself. Just imagine you're part of the crowd. Jesus could easily have had loaves and fish materialize right in your lap. How cool would that be? I mean, there's evidence in the Bible of miracles that are very similar. Jesus could have done that, but that wasn't his plan. You see, his plan was to include the disciples. You see, the disciples were included in the joy of handing out the food. If this crowd were as hungry as Jesus said they were, can you imagine the joy of receiving this food? 
this bread and this fish is given to you. And imagine not only the joy of the person receiving it, but the joy of the disciple to give it. Can I have some more? Yes. And you see, it's not, imagine this crowd. Just visualize what this would have been like. You would have held as many bits of bread and fish. The disciples would have stunk at the end of it. It's a weird mixture of bread, mmm, that's good, and fish. Remember us cooking bread at our young adult group every night for communion? We used to have bread bakers around the room, and the smell of bread cooking would fill the places we worshipped, and then we'd eat the bread for communion. How young adult is that? Oh, the days. Now it'd be like, oh, let me just go down to the sunshine market. Um, they would have carried this, given it out. Just visualize it, giving it out to one person. Maybe enough for us, two or three, maybe four or five people. Then they would have had to have run back, got themselves into the basket, got some more, and gone back, given more out. And this would have happened constantly, would it not? Back and forth, running out, filling up, running out, filling up. Back and forth, giving with joy. People love receiving food. Jesus made a decision. Please listen to this. Jesus made the decision for the disciples to be part of the miracle. And what a picture for us today, Christian friends. We are part of the greatest miracle. And it's the miracle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Literally, Jesus said, I am the bread. I am the word. We are able to be filled up with the word of God, the passion, the enthusiasm, the bread of Jesus to go into the world and to hand this out to people who are in desperate need of it, gratefully receiving it. They may struggle, but your job is not to cram this food down their throat. Here's the bread. Well, he didn't eat it. Gospel doesn't work. No, it's to lay it out before them and leave the rest to God. But our joy is in the giving of it. And the picture continues. See, we give it out. We give out. We give out to our co-workers, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family. We lay the bread out. We lay the truth out. We lay the word of God out. And then what do we do? We go back and get filled up. If you isolate yourself... If you are not in church regularly enough, if you are not in a community group, if you are not joining the Willow One Prayer, if you are not positioning yourself before the Lord on a daily basis, and by the way, none of those are mutually exclusive, all of them. Well, I don't need to go to church because I spend time with Jesus. Well, you're not being a biblical Christian. Welcome to the South. It's all, not bits. You see, that is us filling up with the bread, filling up the word, filling up with the joy, filling up with the passion, going into the world, laying it before the people, leaving it to God, not being worried, not force-feeding them, not saying it doesn't work. It's a beautiful picture. And Jesus planned that picture because they would, in the matter of days, be going into the world by themselves, without Jesus, but filled with the Holy Spirit, like you and me, doing exactly the same that we are called to do today. And they would remember there was always enough bread. Just a few loaves, not much to look at. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? I don't even know whether I'm any good at this. You know, I don't... I don't feel like, maybe, maybe if I was like somebody else and like maybe they know how to share the gospel, but I just don't know how to do it. God's given you a story. 
And the story is, the old has gone, the new has come, go tell them. How did that happen? Jesus. There's your loaf. Give it to them. So it might be that you don't think you're much to look at or listen to, but the disciples and a few loaves and a fish aren't. People gratefully received it because they needed it. They wanted it and needed it. Our world wants the Word of God, needs the Word of God, is looking for it in all the wrong places. It's gratefully received. They give it out and return to be filled. And then another thing that is lovely about this is it's the group of Jews going to the unlovable. Is it not? Do you think they wanted to give this bread out at the start? Do you think they would have gone, great, Jesus is giving bread out to the Gentiles. I don't understand. Fine. This is, I can imagine, because I think this would be me. Fine. Here we go. And then after one or two, I think their joy and their passion would increase with every loaf. They were called to the unlovable, to serve the unlovable, to care for the unlovable, to give bread to the unlovable. What a picture to us. Who are your, please forgive me for this pun, who are your unlovables? You know, let me tell you how that joke came about. I actually wrote it, and it was a typo, because I just was going, and I went, unlovable. That is the joke. To, that's a John Casorso joke. You can have that. Go and lay it out before people like a loaf. Yes. Gluten-free. No, not gluten-free. Who are your unlovables? Who's the crowd? Who are the group of people that nobody else wants to go to? Maybe you don't want to go to them. Glad have you met my neighbor? He's mad. He will not be interested in receiving the bread of the word from me. Let's go see, shall we? Maybe, maybe you should just go and test this thing out. So who are your unlovables? You're welcome. Let's bring this, let's land this. Point four, over and above, verse eight. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people and he sent them away. I love Mark. And he sent them away. Job done. Next. That's the way Mark writes. I like it. These baskets, the word basket here is the same word used for the basket that Paul was hidden in in Acts. You're not talking about little petite you know, little baskets. You're talking about a basket that you can fit a man into. All left over. You see, this is a beautiful picture, and I would love to preach more on this, but I'm just going to throw the image at you and let you consider it. This is a great picture of the way that something that starts as insignificant in a prayer can actually show you how God will answer over and abundantly, over and abundantly, than you can all imagine and ask for and think. You see, in the previous chapter, we've got this really strange interaction between Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman. And he says, and Jesus says to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He's referring to the Gentiles when he's saying that. And yet, days later, this Syrophoenician woman's prayer is being answered over and abundantly she can ever imagine and think. Your prayers, friends, are powerful and significant. We are a praying church. 
You might be asking for small stuff. You may even feel like your asks are being falling on deaf ears and you're not getting the response you want. Let me tell you, the full baskets are on the way. So it begins. A small cloud is gathering and the rain is coming. So it begins. The baskets will come, but you must pray. We gather as a church to pray. Join us. We gather as community groups to pray. We gather in ones or twos to pray. People going on prayer walks. People hiking and praying and chatting. Have you ever had a hike, prayer hike? You walk along. This is what it looks like. You walk along and you look at the scenery and you chat about your week. And then instead of just thinking of something else to say, you just say, Lord, I just really thank you for this. And you just start praying. And then there's agreement, and then maybe you stop praying, and then you just say, hey, look at that. And, and that's a prayer hike. You walk and talk as you walk and talk as you walk and pray and talk. and It's beautiful. The over and abundant answer is coming. The baskets are coming. And so it begins. And then he sends them away. How does he do that? He must have a really good wolf whistle. I wish I could do it. My dad is phenomenal at it. I can't. Okay, off you go. Done. Go home. Enjoy your meal. Got plenty left over. Get a doggy bag. Off you go. Or whatever you call it in Canada. Thanks for following me. But actually, I'm about to get into a boat because a rugged hill is calling. I'm done here because my journey is just starting towards the cross. I'm going to go and die for every one of you who believes so you don't have to die, so you do not have to be punished. You've had your fill here, but go because now my calling takes me into a boat towards Calvary. Because in verse 5, in point 5, his true identity is revealed. Every miracle points to Jesus' true identity. See, in verse 4, his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people? How can one feed these people? They can't, but God can. You see, Jesus does what God alone can do because He is God, the Son. His identity is revealed. Every miracle points to something greater than the physical miracle itself. It's pointing towards something more beautiful, something more magnificent, something more ultimate and incredible and infinite and eternal. And His name is Jesus, and he does this miracle and then heads towards the cross for the Son of God, the perfect one, the one who never sinned, who does not deserve to die, dies on the cross, sighing, it is finished. And the ultimate answer to the ultimate question that Mark presents to us is, who is this Jesus? And you know who answers the question more perfectly than anyone else in the book of Mark? That Roman centurion stood looking at the cross as Jesus is dying. And can I just say, come to the Easter messages. I, I just finished my April 2nd message on the cross. And I, I kind of bowled my way through it, got through it. But I tell you, it's going to have a little bit of an R restriction rating. But you need to come and hear that message. It's called The Silent Savior. That's the title I've called it. He would have looked at Jesus dying on the cross 
And he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. He answers the question. And if you do not know him, all you must do is look to the cross and see the Son of God dying on there for his compassion and love for you so that you do not have to be punished for the sins that you have done. Well, Glenn, I don't think that's very loving. Well, we serve a just God. But we serve an incredibly compassionate and loving God. See, Jesus shows compassion to everyone who believes. This crowd are evidence of that. No one is beyond the reach of the compassion and love of Jesus. Struggling Christians, struggling over your prodigal. No one is out of reach when it comes to Jesus. I have compassion on the crowd, Jesus said. There is hope. And that compassion ultimately leads him to the cross where his body is broken and the spear is thrust into his side, literally piercing his heart. And from it, the blood of the Son of God flows. And when we gather around the communion table, that is what we are celebrating. That is what we are remembering. When Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, he said, my body is broken for you. Take, eat. This is my body. Remember that my body is broken for you. My blood was shed for you. Because I love you. Because I do not want to see you punished. All you have to do is believe. In verse 6, this echo, this beautiful picture of the Calvary, the cross, the the whole process of Jesus, the Son of God dying. Verse 6, He took the seven loaves and having given thanks, He broke them and gave them freely. Gave them. This is a free gift to you. Jesus is broken and set before us. So in conclusion, how must we respond? Non-Christian friends, those of you who are still working and chewing and seeking after God, we love that you're here. We love that you have embarked on this journey. We love that God has initiated something inside of you that you are just probably thinking you're blundering along, but you're here and we're grateful. What is your response? You must receive this miracle gratefully. Just as those crowd would have received the food gratefully and enjoyed it and savored it and and thanked them for it. Then we too come and we share and we say, thank you God for this incredible miracle that you would die for me because I know who I am. And I know what I have done. And I know the thoughts I have thought and the words I have said and the betrayals that I have taken part in. And I bring them and I plead for forgiveness. He has compassion and love for you. Christian friends, my charge, my hope, my prayer is that you would listen to this and that you would receive it, you would be filled up with it, and then you would go into the crowd with the equipping that he gives us, with the compassion that he sets the example to us with. We are called to spread the gospel. We are called to give out the bread. And can I be as bold to say this? If you are not 
doing that, you are not living the Christian life. Please, please do not kid yourselves. If you're not actively looking for biblical community, if you're not actively praying and and seeking the Lord to be filled up and then taking that out into your community to share the gospel, then I can lovingly but with assurance say you are missing the reason that you woke up this morning. Because what you will find is as you do that, just like the disciples, you will find great joy, great uh, passion, because we love to talk about what we are passionate about, and you will find purpose and fulfillment and an adventure. And you know what? God might have you do some stuff that other people will think is mad, but I'd rather be laid on my deathbed recounting crazy stories of adventure for Jesus than just saying, well got my family as much as I love them. I've got my job, my business, I've got all my cars, I have my house. I'd much rather point to the legacy of giving out the bread of Christ because no one is beyond his reach. And through your reach, they could come into reach with Christ. And if you're in any doubt of that, then your own conversion should convince you that no one is within, outside of his reach. That's for me. I mean, look at me. And I go, man, if God can save me, village idiot of the year from Chester, then there is great hope <laughs> for everybody. And I'm sure there would be some loud amens very quietly. Amen. Let me pray for you. And, and, uh, and as always, we are going to have people, some of our... Uh, South Lead team and elders will be available at the end to pray with you. And, and here's how I want to direct you in that. Is if anything that I have said this morning, if you are just, if it's, some of it is just kind of tweaked your heart, maybe you feel convicted about something, maybe you know today is the day that truly you must surrender your life to Christ, then come forward. We do it in a very gentle, non-elaborate way. There's just people here who would love to pray with you. Please take advantage of that. Please come, Willow One Prayer, week on Monday. Come pray with us. And then before the end, I'd like to share a little bit about the prayer wall after we've worshipped. But let me pray for you now. God, I love your word. I love, Lord, how we can look at a passage of scripture that maybe we've heard about as children or we've read many, many times and with little meditation, some prayer, Lord, it comes alive. Father, I pray that we as a church, the South, first and foremost, that God, that you would draw us to you to pray. To pray, Lord, that people would come to know you. That miracles would happen. That, Lord, that that, Lord, you would revive us, your church, so that we would be passionate and enthusiastic to take your word into the world. And, Lord, I thank you that your word works. Your story works. Our testimony works, Lord, by your power, Jesus, by your might. God, I pray as we just sing and worship now that you would continue to speak to us. And that, Lord, if... Lord, I pray that that we would be prompted to come and get prayer. And Jesus, I, 
I thank you, God, that you are still very much in the business of transforming and changing lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you would save a wretch like me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus.